0: Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, that, Lord, that as you gather us here together, Lord, that we are here to encourage one another, we are here to worship you and to give you all the glory, honor, and praise. And we want to acknowledge your presence here in our midst this morning. We remember that where your spirit is, Lord, there is freedom. So, Lord, right now, we pray, Lord, let your freedom come to every heart, to every mind, to every life, to every family, to every household, to every community, Lord. And Lord, let your will be done here in this place. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, very quickly, I have to, as Francis say, be quick. So I'll shorten it from three to one hour, I promise you. Okay, introduction. Now, let's do a quick recap. John preached last week on... Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. Now, the summary of his sermon was that I've been made alive in Christ, and therefore, my life has a purpose, meaning, and hope. All right? That's John's um, summary statement. Now, um, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Doug. Now, this To give a context and just a quick recap on what was Ephesians, the first half of Ephesians chapter 2 was about. Now John actually summarized it in three categories. How we were, we were spiritually dead in our sins and trespasses, by nature children of wrath. God's response to how we were, we were then saved. Saved by grace, made alive, raised up with Christ, and seated with Christ in heavenly places. And our response would be as his workmanship, as his new creation, as a new creation in Christ. We respond with good works. So, the important thing that I want to highlight from the first part of Ephesians chapter 2 is this We are first saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, and then good works can and should follow. We are first saved by grace not by our own works, and so that good works can follow. Now, at this point, I'd like to invite um, our sister Frances. Uh, she will be uh, doing the scripture reading for Ephesians chapter 2, 11 to 22. That's the second half of chapter 2. Thank you. Uh, yes.
1: Morning, everyone. Um, I have a piece of paper, in our house we have umpteen Bibles, but we don't have the version that Aaron wanted, so mine's on a piece of paper. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 to 22, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father so then
0: This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, uh, a quick overview of this second half, verse 11 to 22. Paul talks about all that it is, he moves from the individual and now into the community, into the collection of believers. He first started out with saying that you were dead in your sins and trespasses, and then now he moves into this Uh, In the second half, he says, therefore, you Gentiles, one time in the flesh, called the uncircumcision. Now, so he moves from the individual to the community. He has broken up also into a previously, now in Christ, and so then. Therefore, what what does that mean for that? So previously, the Gentiles, and I think, I suspect that that most of us in biblical context, that most of us, if we are not Jews, we will be considered as Gentiles. The Gentiles were called the uncircumcision, separated from Christ, they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, they were strangers to the covenants of promise, no hope and without God in the world. Previously. Now, there was also the separation by the wall of hostility. Now, this wall of hostility, if we were to look in um, verse verse 14, verse 14, he says that, For he, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. So we were separated by this wall of hostility. Now, very quickly, What's this wall of hostility? So if you read on, it says Jesus actually broke it down. How? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now, the, the law of commandments is not referring to the Ten Commandments uh, per se. It's referring to the expanded set of laws and instructions that govern the life of the Israelites that govern their worship and regulate their worship with God. So you are talking about the laws that involve the sacrifices, the number of sacrifices, when the sacrifices are made, how do they approach God when they come and make the sacrifices. Now, that whole thing um, is, is, um, has formed up to be a spiritual boundary. So if you want to be part of God's chosen people, God's covenant people, there were two main things that has to happen. Circumcision and obedience to the law, to the Mosaic law. All right? That was previously. So as a result of that, Gentiles experienced two types of alienation, social, spiritual. Two types of alienation. Now, in Christ... Through the atoning sacrifice of Christ, through his death and resurrection, we have been, Gentiles have been brought near. We were far off, we were now brought near by the blood of Christ. This wall that used to exist is now broken down. All right? Significantly, by the death and resurrection of Christ, he has now created in himself One new man. Now, in the Greek, one new man literally means both things made into one thing. So, we are talking about one, not just one new creation individually, we are talking about one new humanity. Okay? Now, because of that, today, as part of God's chosen people, God's covenant people, we are now marked by faith in Christ, in Jesus Christ, and the sealing of and participation of the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. No longer circumcision, no longer obedience to the Mosaic law, but faith in Christ and through the Holy Spirit. Now as such, today, through Christ, who is our peace, He has bought peace for us with God and with others. We are, as believers in Christ, reconciled to God and reconciled to others as well. All right, that's now in Christ. Verse 19, so then, then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Fellow citizens with the saints talks about us being in the same kingdom of God with equal access, equal treatment, right? That's why we talk about citizenship or permanent residence or foreigners and we make that, 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 that uh, difference. Now, members of the household of God is a more intimate type of relationship. We are talking about being in kinship with God and with one another, with fellow believers, in the family, in the household of God. Now Paul in Galatians chapter three, verse 26 to 28, he says this, "For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God, through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring as according to the promised. So in Christ, the distinctions or the separators, the barriers between race, ethnicity, social status and class, and even gender have all been removed. That's the work of Christ. That's the desire of God accomplished through Christ Jesus. So both believing Jews and Gentile Christians now have access to God in one spirit. One spirit. So believers of Christ can now approach God directly and as children to their heavenly Father. So if you were to recall when Jesus died on the cross, at that point when he gave up his spirit, the curtain that's in the temple, the Jewish temple, that separates between the holy place and the holy of holies, that curtain was torn. And that signifies a new and an open way through Christ into the holy of holies. So both, I say that again, Jews and Gentile Christians can now access, have access to God in one spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 22. We then are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. A dwelling, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So individually, you will hear Paul talks about how the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Collectively, the believers are like living stones. That's to borrow from the phrase from Peter in 1 Peter 2, verse 4 to 5, where Peter says that we are like living stones, and Jesus is the living stone that was rejected by man, but in the sight of God, he's chosen and precious. And we are like living stones, collectively being built up as a spiritual house for the dwelling of God. Now what does that mean then for us? It's important for us to know Christ, to come to him, to be reconciled to him. But it's also important for us as believers to come together as a body of Christ. living stones being built together implies that there will be close proximity there will be positioning and there will be participation with christ jesus as the chief cornerstone we take our alignment with christ and we line up with each other together what happens when believers do not come together We are like living stones that becomes divided and scattered. Okay. So, what's important then? It's then vital for us as believers to join and participate in the body of Christ. It is vital for us as believers to be part of a local church and also to be in prayer and communion with the larger body of Christ. Because what Christ has done right now is that through his spirit, everyone who believes in him, in any part of the world, we are now one body. And that's why you will see here Paul also mention several times and he uses that metaphor. We are the body of Christ. All right? Now, i will just like to... Move on. If we are meant to be part of the larger body of Christ, if we are meant to be part of the local church, if we are meant to be in close proximity with each other and to join in participation together, how then do we live in unity? That's a big question. And that's a question that has been talked about for ages. How do we live in unity? We can only do so through the Holy Spirit. Through the Spirit that God has put into each of us, and through the Spirit of God, His Holy, the Holy Spirit in each of us, he brings about the unity of hearts and minds. So I'm jumping ahead here into Ephesians chapter 4, Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, 1 to 4, because that's Paul's response to the gospel that he's talking about what was accomplished in Christ. And he goes from Ephesians 4 to 6, he talks about how does that look like in our daily lives. He says, I therefore, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The key would be to walk in all humility. That is why Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, right at the beginning, he, re, he, he told the Gentile Christians, remember. Remember you were once dead, but made alive. Remember that you are saved by grace. He emphasized that. Saved by grace, not by works, not by merits, so that no one can boast. We are saved as a gift, as God's gift to us. Humility. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, Thirty-two, verse thirty-two, Paul also exhorts the church to be kind, tender-hearted, and to forgive. So the second thing that is important, humili- uh, first is humility, and secondly, forgive. Essentially, believers of Christ are to walk in love in humility and forgiveness. When we talk about love, we remember what Paul talked about in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 8. Love is patient and it's kind. It does not envy. It bears no record of wrongs it bears all, it endures all. You can read all of that in love. Walk in love, humility, and forgiveness. In John, 1 John, you will hear that John actually says that if we do not walk in love, we actually do not know God. Because God is love. If we say that we love God, then... We should also love one another, saints in the household of God. So you would see that John, um, in in chapter 13, verse uh, 34 to 35, Jesus actually said this. He said this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this love, by this love, all people will know that you, disciples of Jesus, believers of Christ, all people will know that you are my disciples if you, believers, have love for one another. If you read the New Testament, you would see that Peter, James, John, Paul, in all or almost all of their letters and episodes to the churches, they emphasize and they talk about how to walk in love. Because that's really the key. That's exactly what distinguishes believers from the rest. And that's exactly the thing that God wants us to convey to the rest of the world. His love for us. So what are the main threats to unity? What are the causes of disunity in the church then? The opposite of humility would be pride. Pride which includes spiritual pride. I remember when I was serving in ministry back in Singapore for years and I remember that there were many times that I had differences with the people whom I was serving with, be it with leaders, even with pastors. And I remember going up to to them and reasoning with them and arguing my way through about things such as theological positions or doctrinal positions or behavior. And then it seems like at that point of time in the argument that I've won the argument But when I went home, I had the Lord prod my heart and I felt so convicted. And I heard the Lord just asking me, what was that for? Was that pride? Spiritual pride. Unforgiveness, resentment, bitterness, unresolved unforgiveness will lead to the root of bitterness. Bitterness and the bible says the root of bitterness is what defiles a person taking offenses envy jealousy insecurity if you look at all of that right collectively you will see that pride is the original sin but you will see that the common denominator in all of these is the capital i me Myself and I. What can I get out of it? What does it mean for me? What do I want out of this? What are my rights on this? Threats to unity. If there is pride, we will not be able to walk in humility. We will not be able to see true unity. So that is why Paul, in chapter 1 and in chapter 3, he makes two prayers. In chapter 1, he prays, I pray that you will grow in the knowledge of who he is, of who God is. Because if we know God for who he really is, and who really God is in that sense, and if we know who we are, we as believers are in him, what's our true identity in Him, we are actually very secure. Because God is our good heavenly Father. And God is love. Everything that we need in this world comes from Him and can come from Him. He's the answer to every need that we have in this world. If you just think about it, why do we chase after things? Why do we chase after a bigger house? Why do we chase after multiple bigger houses? Why do we chase after positions? Why do we chase after achievements and accolades and recognition? What's really the root at it? If we know who we are in Christ, if we know the blessed hope and the glorious inheritance that he has for us and that he has already given us a foretaste of through the Holy Spirit in us, then none of these things will really start to bother us. It will not disappear overnight, but it will act away and it doesn't matter anymore. In Singapore, my family and I, we live in a house that's considered tiny by local standards here. Probably just 118 square meters. That's quite tiny, right? Over here, you have houses that goes into acres, or even beyond that. And people ask in Singapore asks me. they say, "Oh, you know what? You get to live in a big house. Wow, that must be marvelous." In Singapore, to buy a car, the car, the price of the car cost probably the price of a house here. Or maybe a bit less. Oh, you mean in Australia you get to drive two cars? Wow, you must be doing very well. You must be really happy, you know? You know what? It doesn't really matter. Because when I go about, when I sleep on the bed, I only take that much space in the night. When I sit at the table to eat, I only take that much space. What's the size of my plate compared to the size of the house? How much do I need? People ask, how is it, Aaron, that you're always wearing the same shirt? It doesn't matter. Because it is not the shirt that makes the man. Yeah, right? Right? Do we know who God is, who our Father is, and do we know who we are in Him? Now I must say it's not easy, but I can tell you what I, I usually do, and when I struggle with this area of pride and humility, and it is a constant battle for me. I pray. I ask the Holy Spirit, I ask God to work out in me the nature and the goodness of Christ. I ask the Holy Spirit for help to just crucify the flesh, all the fleshly desires, the thoughts, the motivations of my heart. And I say, Lord, you know, I'm just, I just keep falling time and time again but you have promised that your spirit is with me, that your spirit enables and empowers me to live the life that you desire, that you you gave me, the abundant life that you gave me, the eternal life that you promised me. So help me in my weakness, Lord. And the Holy Spirit is the only person who can actually help transform our hearts and our minds. No amount of reading can do that. The devotional books in the world, I can read even the Bible from cover to cover 40 times. But that's just mental persuasion, perhaps. Only the Holy Spirit can bring about the true change. And it takes me, uh, the Holy Spirit does the work, but here's my part. I have to yield to Him. And I have to obey Sometimes God shows me certain things when I go into places and I'm serving in ministry and he opens my eyes to see certain of the issues and the troubles or the problems. I take those troubles and those issues and sometimes I shut off my mouth. As quickly as I, I hear it, I shut it off my mouth. And what happens is a bigger hole and a bigger problem. Tensions, strained relationships. Learning that I have to take all of that and say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this that you have shown me? And more often than not, I will say maybe 8 out of 10 times or 9 out of 10 times, God will just say, pray. I just want you to pray about it. And pray for His will to be done. Pride, humility. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says this, Let us walk in the Spirit that we will not gratify our flesh, the desires of our flesh. Because the desires of the flesh are contrary to the desires of the Spirit. We can only live the true life that Christ desires us to live, individually and as a church, if we walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit doesn't mean that we just gather together and we say, hey, buddy, buddy, we are all, you know, Christians, Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. Walking in the Spirit and being one in the Spirit talks about saying, Lord, each of us will say, Lord, what is it that you desire to do? I will obey and I will follow. If every one of us do that collectively, the whole body of Christ moves in the flow and in, the t- in tandem with the Spirit. So it takes a joint participation from all of us. Let's reflect. Christ Jesus has broken down the wall of hostility. That's what he has achieved. That's what he has accomplished through his ministry through his death and through his resurrection, we are now reconciled to God at peace with God and reconciled to each other at peace with each other. How are we faring in fostering unity in our local church and in the larger body of Christ? Have we brought back some of the barriers, some of the exclusive zones into the church today? Race, ethnicity, social status, titles, positions, qualifications, accolades, or theological and doctrinal perspectives, denominations. That's a big one. That's a big elephant in the room. I don't have time to go through all of that right now. But regarding theology and doctrine, I'll just share this few points. We need especially God's wisdom and God's discernment. Oftentimes, earthly human wisdom is usually the problem of it all. Because in the book of James, earthly human wisdom is called sensual." That means it pleases the senses. And it's demonic. It causes envy and jealousy. And where there's envy, jealousy, selfish ambition, there will be confusion and there will be every other form of evil present. That's in the book of James. But godly wisdom is pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason. Oh, thanks. Thanks. My time has reached. <laughs> Godly wisdom. In some cases, on, for theological and doctrinal issues, we need to exercise discretion and restraint. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1-3, Paul says, we do not know it all yet, as we ought to know. We don't. Why? Because maturity takes a process of time. Sometimes there will be people who experience certain truths of God, but they do not know, yet know the Word of God in that as yet. And sometimes we know the Word of God, but we may not have experienced it yet. And if we allow ourselves to get polarized over these then that's where we have arguments, disagreements. So we must remember that even the Jewish leaders who have studied and lived and breathed the word of God, their scriptures from young, they have attended synagogues and, and the temple worship, they were very familiar with their scriptures. But lots of them missed out when the Messiah came. Because in the book of John, he says that he came to his own, and his own did not recognize him. Ironically, you will see and you will hear how the blind man that Jesus, who, the, the man who was blind when he, since he was young, whom Jesus healed, he was the one who said, Yes, I believe. So we do not know it all as yet. The last point I'll make on this is this. Personally, when I was studying in or when when I'm studying now even in theology, one thing that strikes me most about my lecturers is how humble they are. They have got so much knowledge, but so so humble. And that's probably the biggest lesson that I will learn from from this college. The pursuit of knowledge, theological knowledge, must be coupled with love and humility. We need to ask ourselves, why do we pursue theological knowledge or doctrinal knowledge? Is it out of a motivation of love for God and love for others? Does it lead us to love God more and to love others more? Because if it does not, then it's vain, it's vanity. The barriers, these barriers that we form up are contrary to what God desires and contrary to what he has specifically accomplished and achieved in Christ. And so that's why this unity and division in the body of Christ grieves the heart of God. John, in the book of John, he he recorded how Jesus prayed. He prayed that the body of Christ, believers will be one, will all be one, even as how Jesus is one with the Father, the believers will all be one so that the world will know that this is how God looks like. Love. I'll just ask again, have we brought back barriers into the church? I know I have. So what do we do? I have to confess and I have to repent and I have to ask God to help to help us flow in his love and flow in his spirit and ask God for healing and for restoration in his church in his body second question I'd like to ask. Were we at any one time, even perhaps now or recently, offended, hurt, or disappointed by fellow Christians, either because of such exclusions or any other matter? Are we still nursing that hurt? If we are, and I know that there are still hurts within me that I'm struggling with. And so I know the first thing it is that as a believer of Christ Jesus, God has called me His son and His daughter. He has called me His child. That's my true identity. Nothing else of what... I'm not... When I stand before God, I'm not identified as a church worker, as a CEO, as a professor, when I stand before God, the Heavenly Father, I'm identified, first of all, as His child. That's your true identity and your true worth and value. And because you are His child, remember also He loves you so much that he didn't send just any other person. He sent his only son, Jesus, to take your place, my place, on the cross. The stripes upon his back that was due for me. He took all of that We are recipients of his rich mercies, extravagant grace, and his amazing love. And so, as we have been forgiven, we need to forgive. We need to release people, release those who have hurt us from our judgment. We need to pray for them. And we need to commend them unto our Lord as what Dinah has shared earlier on, when Jesus was on the cross, he didn't just preach one thing and not do it. When he was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. Who? The Jewish leaders who crucified him to the cross. The Roman soldiers, Gentiles, who nailed him to the cross. Forgive them, for they do not know they do. Pray for them. And as we forgive, it will not suddenly become a case where it may for, for some of us, but it may not necessarily be a case where we say, Lord, I choose to forgive and the stone is just removed. It might take a process. But as we take that first step, as we forgive, God will allow and bring in his healing and restoration into our lives, into our hearts. Forgiveness removes that block, that blockage, allowing his presence to flow into our hearts to bring healing and restoration. And his spirit will give us the strength to love and to forgive. Because it's his love, we cannot love in our own human capacity the way that Jesus loved. It is only through His love, His Spirit. I'd just like to invite us now to just take a moment, just close your eyes. Let's close our eyes and let's just ask, let's just ponder over these. Have we brought in barriers Are we still nursing hurts? If so, would we ask God, would we, if we have brought in barriers, would we just confess and repent and ask God to help us to walk in His Spirit and His love? Pray for healing and restoration in the church. And if we've been wounded, would we pass that? over to the Lord and say, Lord, I choose to forgive that person or those people. I choose, Lord, to release them into your judgment, uh, release them from my judgment. And I choose to bless them Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord. Lord, you are sovereign God, almighty one. You are the Lord of hosts, creator of the universe, creator of the heavens and earth. As we come before you, Lord, we come before you in all humility. And we ask, O oh Lord, that for all the times that we have said things or done things that were contrary to your heart, contrary to your spirit, we ask, Lord, for you to please forgive us. Lord, we confess of all those sins, Lord. Please forgive us. And Lord, we choose to repent, Lord. Help us to flow in accordance to your spirit, help us to flow in accordance to your heart, to your love, to your word. And Lord, we know that your word has said that if we were to confess our sins, Lord, you are faithful and you are just to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, there are some of us that also need to forgive ourselves. Lord, we commit all of these, Lord, to you. We pray also, Lord, that for those of us who are hurt, who have been wounded by fellow Christians, fellow believers, we choose, Lord, as your word have exhorted us to and commanded us to, Lord, as we remember how we are such a, ble- we have received your love and your blessing, your forgiveness, Lord. We choose to forgive them, and we choose, Lord, to release them from our judgment, and we choose, O oh Father, to bless them. Father, we ask, Lord, that you will let your healing flow into our hearts, into our lives. Let your healing flow into our families, our households. Let your healing flow into our church, Lord, and the larger body of Christ. We ask all of these in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would just bear with me, for those who, even for those who are watching online, I'm totally aware that there are always people in our midst who have heard the gospel of Christ, who have heard about His love, but who have not yet accepted that gift. And if there are those who are in our midst or who are watching online right now, if that's you, I'd just like to share with you very quickly, sin is what separates us from God. And all of us have sinned, and all of us have fallen short of the holy standards and of the glory of God. None of us will be able to stand before God and say that we are without sin. And the punishment for sin is death. Physical death, spiritual death. So as we have seen and heard earlier, without Jesus, we are spiritually dead and we are without hope. Yet, God is love. and He's perfect love and he's gracious and rich in mercy. And so that's why he sent his son, Jesus, to bear our sins, to bear the penalty for our sins on the cross. And he died. But the good news is, He rose again. And that's why now, through Christ Jesus, we can be made alive and reconciled to God, given eternal life, seated in heavenly places with Christ. And we have a precious and truly awesome guarantee of our inheritance today. If we accept Christ, He gives us the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that was there at the creation of the world the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is a gift for those who accept the gift of God it is not a coincidence that you are here today because nothing in this world happens by coincidences but it is God who draw you or who drew you into this place to hear this message again because of His grace, His mercy and His love for you. So, if you are hearing now God calling you and prodding your heart to turn to Him, I would like to encourage you not to hold back. Respond to Him and accept His gift of salvation and follow Christ Jesus today. If you would like to respond to God now, I would like to invite you to repeat this prayer after me in sincerity and faith. Lord Jesus Christ, I confess that I have sinned and I repent of my sins. I believe that you are the Son of God and the only way to God. That you died on the cross for my sins and rose again from the dead. I thank you for what you did for me, and by faith I receive it now. I receive you, Lord Jesus, as my Savior, and I confess you as my Lord. Please accept me now, and make me a child of God. Help me, by your Spirit, to live in your way of life. In Jesus' name I pray these. Amen.